My name is Elam Kogwana. I'm 13 years old. I'm in grade 7. I live in Kailicham, a township mostly known as um, a Pua township. That's Yola from Cape Town. She is an eco-warrior. I'll make an example with the Kailicha. Those people are, are already living the effects of climate change because they are experiencing drought. They are, their homes are being flooded. There's heat waves, you know, because I mean, you can imagine if you're living in a tin shack home, the heat gets trapped. And that's Goli Fuyani. She's an Earth Child Project educator. I am Yola's environmental education teacher and, and mentor. And I support her to actually do what she does, yeah. And together with others like them, these young environmental change agents have a plan. It involves earthworms, eco-bricks, self-love and community activism, and of course, water. podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for a better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities and the environment and the people working tirelessly to protect it. This is For Water For Life the podcast series that tells extraordinary stories of ordinary people and water. They've made it their mission to preserve, purify and protect the water supply where we live in a water-scarce and unequal country called South Africa. I'm Kukule Tumplungo. Thank you for joining us. And I'm Sikwetlane Pamodi. So we're back in Cape Town this week looking at the work that Earth Child Project does in schools. It's about much more than environmental education and water awareness. We, we look at health and wellness, life skills and the environment because we, we believe that, you know, the way that we, you treat yourself and you speak to yourself has the same impact as the same um, impact as the way that you, you treat your natural environment. I want to know about the worm farms already. <laughs> we'll get there, I promise. But let's start at a climate strike staged by young activists outside the buildings of parliament in March 2019. One of the people right up front was Yolam Gokwan. She addressed a crowd of nearly 2,000 strikers. And the next day, her photo was in the news, holding up a beautiful homemade cardboard poster which read, Try to leave Earth a better place than when you arrived. When I hold that poster, I wanted to make people aware that we are going to inherit this world. So we have to make change so that we can live in a better world. She'd first heard about climate change at school through a project called Eco Warriors. Eco-Warriors is an extramural activity that I attended at my school in Yumelela Public Primary School. The brick school with green aluminium roof looks neat, tidy and peaceful. But barbed wire curls along the top of the fence and the front gates are locked shut to keep criminal elements out and to keep learning in. 
where I didn't even know that my life depended on it, you know, because that's where I first learned the words that are like climate change, global warming, that our ozone layer is, is have has a hole, you know, because our teachers in our schools don't don't teach us those things. We, I first learned the words like that in the eco areas, and that's where I wanted to spread awareness and also to make people aware because I'm sure that children like me in my community are very clueless about what is going on around the world. The Eco Warriors program is run in schools by Goli, who we just met. I grew up in Gugletu, which is very similar to what Yola, you know, ex- um, explained about her community. But the difference with my life and Yola's life is that I had an access, you know, to leave my community and see what was outside, you know, and, and see those beautiful trees and see the beautiful mountains and experience them. But there was always, always like a trigger, you know, like whenever I would drive back to my community and see the difference it always made me wonder like why why is it different you know like why my community doesn't have a lot of trees why it's not taken care of whereas just like 10 k's away you know there's there's dams there's um ocean there's beautiful wildlife and and it just gave me a thought i was like okay let me just do something here you know like let me start a club where I really inspire kids and and educate them about the the importance of taking care of the environment. Um, and I mean, from there, it just grew, and I and I joined um, Earth Child Project, where we offer like a complementary education, you know, into the school um, system, where we go in and we offer a very holistic approach, you know, where we look at health and wellness, life skills, and the environment. I know what happens next, worm farms, right? And we use these incredible, beautiful worm farms. And I mean, little creatures, little worms in the classroom. You can imagine like a class full of 60, you know, like um, grade ones or grade twos or grade threes. And they have these 2000 worms that they have to take care of and, and, and feed and maintain. But what that does, the, the effects of that is that it really instills that love, you know, of nature. It instills that love of taking care of something else, but also like in, introducing them to um, this concept of, you know, of conservation. Because what the worms does is that they make the compost and then from that compost and then we teach them how to um, grow their own food. Brilliant. So these are the eco-warriors. Well, not quite yet. The earthworm farmers go on to become eco-warriors as preteens. And then when those kids, you know, graduate and they go into grade four, which we call the intermediate phase, then they have an option to join our extramural activity um, 
the eco warriors that Yola spoke about, you know. And that's a space to really like go in depth into these environmental issues. And I think as Yola explained that we always start local, you know, and we look around and we see, okay, what are local environmental issues affecting our school, affecting our homes, affecting our neighborhood? I mean, we, we recruit about 30 to 40 kids, you know, per year um, that take part in this program. And we teach them, you know, about local issues affecting their schools. And then we do a lot of campaigns, you know, we do campaigns about water awareness. But everything we do is very experiential. It's very hands-on. It's fun. Uh, Miss Oli always tells us that we have to spread awareness around us. We first, we must spread awareness in our homes, school and community, you know. So what we do, we, we start from um, recycling, you know, at our homes. And then at school, we do, um, we have events where we teach our peers at school about um, water awareness, you know, and also climate change. And also um, on Friday, we are going to have a climate change action on our school. Yeah, we are, we are going to have an event there, yeah, doing fun activities. The welcome to Kylie Chassain is battered and in dire need of some paint. Considered one of the largest informal settlements in the world, Kailicha yawns in all directions. In the background, the beautiful, ubiquitous mountain range that says you're in Cape Town. In front of it, rows and rows of government-issued brick houses. But in fact, it's estimated that around 70% of residents here still live in shacks. This place, with its youthful population and many migrant workers, was created in the mid-1980s by the apartheid government as a final push in its failed separate development ideology, cramming workers into the peripheries of the cities they helped to build. The patches of earth here are sandy, sometimes sodden from broken sewage pipes, interspersed with billboards and traders, taxi ranks, and the art sports ground, clinic, or community center. There are many yards, but very few gardens and very few trees. Under the deepening climate crisis, it's the poor who are the most vulnerable. Kailicha is prone to flooding from seasonal storms. When there is raining, we get worried that where are we going to sleep because um, floods are going to happen, you know, our beds will be flushed down, flushed away by, by, by water and also by our furniture is going to flow, you know. So, yes, it's a lot of mess. Whenever it's raining, we have to be like, where are we going to sleep tonight? Because floods are going to happen. And then there's Cape Town's famous drought. Where Yola lives, 55 families share a single tap. And then one day, it ran dry. So when we woke up, we went to fish water and when we landed on the tips, the water was not there. And then we stayed for a week, not knowing whether where is the, where is the water. And we were supposed to go um, kill kilos to go and fetch water from another neighborhood. But becoming an eco-warrior changed Yola's worldview. It taught her to find solutions in order to survive these serious problems.
Like, for example, like during Water Week, where we do a water campaign, the kids go around the school and they do water auditing, you know, where they audit their own school's um, water consumption. And then from those audits, and then we do these giant bars, you know, we then raising awareness and, and, and informing the other learners that this is how much water we use, you know, as a school um, for a month or for a week or for the year. And then we bring in the cost and say, this is how much it costs. And, and it was such a, I mean, um, a light bulb moment, you know, to the teachers and the principals because it was now including the learners, you know, into the running cost of, of the school. And take Lita and Kailicha. The eco-warriors are taught to make a plan with that too. And we really wanted to create something hands-on, something experiential, something that the kids could take ownership of and really be proud, you know, but fun. And, and that's when then we came up with the concept of working for the foundation phase, focusing on waste management, because it's something that they see on their daily lives. and we go out, we do cleaning up campaigns. And then from that waste, we, we kind of like close the loop and say, well, you can collect that waste, but also you can make your own eco bricks. And then from those eco bricks, we make benches that they could use, you know, um, when they are in, in our extramurals or some of them, we, we give them to the great R's or we take them to the library. So yeah, so it's fun, it's hands-on, it's very inspiring for them. That's why then the likes of Yola are able to go out, you know, and, and say, I want to do this. I want to be part of that solution. And so Yola created her own group in her community in Kailicha. It's called Green Environment. She passes on the lessons she's learned to younger residents. On Friday, you know, um, I recycle and then um, since I have my group that I teach my children, so I took those those um, papers that I recycled and collect my children and we stuff the, those papers in a two liter bottle um, to make eco bricks. There's my friend of mine. Um, she's also a climate change activist. Um, her name is Anelisa Mgedezi. Um, what she did, she did, she started, she just started um, a, a seedling. Um, she seedlings to solve for her community because she believes that since we are all in lockdown, she can like provide people with seedlings to start their own green gardens, you know, and. That garden does amazing things because we also help here to to grow those seedlings and to give our community some. Annalisa's story is a really great example of what it's possible to achieve through innovation.
During the lockdown, um, what we did is that we gave all of our kids um, gardening kits because we believe that any, anybody in the world can, and you could be in a shack, you could be living in the streets, you can start your own little garden, you know. So we really focusing on container gardening. So we provided that to all of our kids just to keep them busy, you know, because they were not coming to school. And Annalisa is 13 years old, same age as Yola, also part of our Climate Girls. And she also stays in an informal settlement, but her, her home is close to a communal tap and a communal toilet. So basically everybody in your community has to pass her home to get to the taps. And so when she started her garden, people started getting curious, you know, and they started coming to her and asking like, you know, where you got your compost, where you got your seedling. And I think also because, you know, what the pandemic has done in terms of our economy, where a lot of people were at home, they were unemployed, people lost their jobs. Uh, and I guess there was a little bit of that desperation of like, I need something to, to do to feed my family. And Elisa um, was very innovative where she came up with this idea. She was like, well, I mean, people are coming to me inquiring about my garden. How about I start my own little nursery, basically, where I grow seedlings that I will provide to my community. But she was so clever that she, she knew that money will be an issue because now people have lost their jobs. And so she came up with this concept where she would then teach her community members to make eco-bricks in a way, cleaning up the neighborhood. And then for one eco-brick, they would receive five seedlings. For 10 eco-bricks, they would receive five seedlings plus compost. For 15 eco-bricks, they would receive compost, seedlings, and a workshop on how to grow their own container gardens. I was, I was very proud of her. Amazing. And you know what this makes me think of? Remember Georgia McTaggart from our very first episode? She created an organization hiring unemployed people to help clean up rivers in Cape Town. And she also has a plan for community taps. We wanted to start something called Adopted Tap, where a company could pay a monthly fee and basically adopt a tap area, and then we would ensure that that tap is kept in good condition, that recycling bins are put in place, that we start planting gardens and things like that around it, so we actually start to sort of create a functional space around fresh water in order to engage on behavior going forward. The things like obviously your nappies, your plastic bags, your food containers, styrofoam that's completely soaked in feces. I mean, it's, it's just the E. coli count in the Black River, I think in September last year was one million parts to 100 mils or something. So it's, that's a lot of things. I'm not sure if it would be the greatest idea for that stuff to be recycled anyway. But we would like that to start from the tap, which is where most of the rubbish is actually being dumped. So, for instance, in Lunga, where the taps are very close to the Yakutsle Canal that runs into the Black River, 
So what will happen is you've got your fresh water tap and then people will come throw their trash next to that without really realising the impact of that on the health of their family, their children. Never mind what goes beyond that, the fish you eat being contaminated with plastic and toxins, but also the just the fact that you don't want to be having to sit in a clinic with a child's diarrhoea and you can avoid it if someone's not throwing their fresh feces next to where you're pouring water into to cook and drink. So those kinds of things, by creating sort of an adopted tap type of program, you're then creating stewardship inside that area and you are providing economic opportunity for people who live right around that tap so that they start to take ownership of that space and they start to see benefit from it immediately. That's what we strive to do, is to constantly innovate and to constantly disrupt in a compassionate way. I told Golia about George's idea and she loved it. <laughs> Maybe there's a collaboration there, <laughs> you know. I'm a firm believer of partnership. I don't believe in, in working in silos because we need each other. I think as Yola said, like we like this is a time where we really need each other, you know. And I'm seeing like Annalisa's idea, you know, happening to happening in Gwalanga, happening in Strand, happening in the Eastern Cape in the villages, you know, happening in Brazil. Like, why not? If that concept works, why not amplify it, you know, and, and share and share it with the world? Of course, like, you know, giving recognition to the innovator, which is Annalisa. We've seen time and time again during the course of this series that innovation is bred from necessity and from communal thinking. And a big part of what Yola and Goli do is taking their environmental message to the people with the power to make policy change. Yola has even shared a stage with South Africa's president and a delegation from the United Nations. She did. I actually asked her about it. Um, that moment it was so it was a blessing because I I wasn't I wasn't only representing me you know I was I was representing every young black children that lives in my community you know because um, we don't have that power to go out and speak to those powerful people you know my message to them was that they have to act they have to stop making promises that they that they are going to do this but at the end of the day they are not doing anything you know because our mother earth is on our hands and we have to take care of our mother earth we have no mother than besides her so we have to treat her like the queen that she deserves to be treated like i wondered if they really got her message if they understood the urgency by my seeing right now clearly not it, I have to do more than that I did, you know. I feel like that because they promised me a lot of things, but when I look around, they haven't done nothing. So I'm curious, what happens next? What comes after being an eco-warrior? They then graduate and join our program called the Climate Girls. It's called the Climate Girls because we've only been attracting girls and we're hoping that's going to change, you know, soon because we, we want boys also to be part of this program. But um, And these are the likes of Yola, you know, we kids come up front and say, I want to be part of the solution. I want to do something like this is not right. And this is now after hearing you know, about what's happening in our globe, what's happening locally in terms of environmental issues. And what that space does, it really cultivate advocacy, like where these kids are given a space to really amplify their voices and to come up with solutions. 
our Mother Earth is on fire and we have to, to, to stop her from burning, you know. The shift is now with, we're seeing like the linkages between that and social justice. And hence now we are speaking about climate justice, you know, because we are saying that there's a human at the center of this. Because when the floods come, it's not just the infrastructure, but there's Yola, whose home is going to be destroyed. There's Yola, who's not going to be able to go to school. That means, that means missing education being stuck in that vicious cycle of poverty. And I think the more we can really address climate change as a social justice issues, the more those people can start to understand that it's not just about nature, but it's about me and you, you know. Another person working to counteract climate change is Dr. Grion Grunewald. Um Gideon finds millions of litres of fresh, drinkable water for communities in drought-stricken parts of the country. I use Google technology now to fly away 78 kilometers above the earth at one o'clock at night. So between one and four at night, I then, if somebody asks me to cite a borrow for them, like gift to the givers or school or community, I would then plot that point on Google. And then I will fly away 78 kilometers above the earth and then look at the earth and see if I can see any linear feature, either tree lines, uh, rock lines, grass. You can listen to Umgideon's fascinating story in an earlier episode of For Water for Life. Don't forget to rate and review us when you've listened. It helps keep us on the charts so that more people can listen to the water with us and the incredible stories of these extraordinary water heroes from across South Africa. I'm Sigwetlane Pamudi. And I'm Gugule Tumtlungum. Thank you for joining us. All of our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible because of Jojo for Water for Life. Find us on social media at For Water for Life and share your water stories using the hashtag Listen to the Water. Because if you do, it can change your life. From the Jojo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of For Water for Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters or other water solutions, Jojo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content. Thank you.